Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Advent is a season of waiting, so we're all good. Well, as we journey together and continue to journey closer to Christmas, I can't think of anyone better to sit with uh, this fourth week of Advent than these two women in the gospel reading, Mary and Elizabeth. And I think there's an invitation for you and for me to sit with Mary and Elizabeth this morning. We're going to do that in three movements. Uh, We're going to do it with Mary's visit to Elizabeth, Elizabeth's blessing to Mary, and then we're going to spend the majority of our time on Mary's song. Um, And let me say this, we're going to pray here in a moment, but let me just say this, because I think in, you know, Mary and Elizabeth's story always comes up in the season of Advent, uh, whether that's in the lectionary readings that we read on Sunday or even the daily office readings. And I have just found every single Advent, just like needing John the Baptist, uh, desperately needing these two women and their story. Uh, But more than that, and more than just needing their story is uh, these women in the deep history and the deep tradition of our faith is to hold up these women as exemplars and examples of our faith. And I think, um, especially in the moment and time in which we find ourselves, and I'll just be frank and honest, as a man, as a white man in America, who, if we're honest, my group um, has a lot of privilege and our voice is usually the loudest and unnecessarily. Um, I think that there is an invitation for us, especially as men, to sit at the feet of these women, to submit to them, to learn from them. It's one of the reasons why one of my mentors is a woman who I open my life to and submit to her. And I think there's an invitation in in many ways, but I think especially in the stories of scripture, um, especially as men. And if you're like me, a white man, which the majority of us in here are, uh, to do that, uh, especially in a season like this. And so with that, if you would pray with me, and then let's sit together in this story and let's see what we can see. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of all our hearts would now and always be pleasing in thy sight. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. As we sit with the incredible and vulnerable and very human faith of Mary and Elizabeth, Holy Spirit, may we for just a moment quiet our souls, our lives, to see you. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. As I said, the first movement I want us to sit with this morning is Mary visits Elizabeth, which is uh, verse 39 through 40. Uh, Mary in this story is, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, or as Elizabeth calls her, the mother of our Lord. Uh, Mary is engaged to Joseph. Most scholars believe that around the time that we're picking up in the story, she's a teenager. So somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15. And there's a lot to say about Mary. In fact, uh, of all the, all the New Testament characters, uh, the two Marys are my favorite. But we're going to get to that a little bit more when we get to her song. But for now, what we need to know is that we're picking up shortly after the story of Gabriel having visited her to say and to ask Will you carry God? And so hearing this news, uh, Mary does something that it's sort of easy to pass over as a detail in the story, but it's actually a rhythm that her son will take into his own life and his ministry. So after hearing big news, after this big momentous occasion, what does Mary do? She retreats. She heads for the hills. And this is something we'll see Jesus do throughout the Gospels. He's continually engaged in ministry and then escaping to the hills to be with his friends and to be with God. And so Mary does this. She escapes to the hill country in order to be with her cousin, Elizabeth. 
Elizabeth, some of us are a little bit less familiar with. Elizabeth is a much older cousin of hers. She is an older woman. Uh, She is a devout Jewish woman uh, who was married to Zechariah, who's a priest. And uh, an angel has also visited Zechariah and Elizabeth and declared that she, at a stage in life which was not expected to become pregnant, was going to conceive and carry a son who would be John the Baptist. And the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Luke is actually very intentional in doing this with all of the women in his gospel account, that he sort of holds them up in comparison to the men in the story. And the men in the story throughout all of Luke are just, like we're talking, habitually lacking faith. Zechariah goes, I am old. There's no way that this is going to happen. And because of his unbelief, is actually struck mute until the birth of John the Baptist. Elizabeth doesn't have a moment of doubt. She doesn't have a moment, just like Mary, just has this moment of God, whatever you say, I'll do and I'll believe. And so Elizabeth not only believes, but consents to the action of God within her. And because of that saying yes to God, because of her faith, we get John the Baptist. And so in the first movement, one of the things I want to invite us to sit with is that both of these women consented to God's action in their lives and consented to to their part in God's story. John and Jesus are both born into a dark moment in history, in their people's history. There was a longing in both of these women that God would right the wrongs. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the Magnificent, which is Mary's song, not this sort of doughy-eyed kind of song of affection, but it is a revolutionary song. Mary and Elizabeth were waiting and longing and looking for God to come, to set things right, to overthrow the powers. They were waiting for God to lead the people of God into wholeness, into healing. And they both consented. They both gave their yes to their part in their story. And so I want to put two things before you this morning. The first is that you and I, and I think we get this in the lives of Mary and Elizabeth, embodied in ways that I'll never fully understand that embodiment. That you and I were created, knit together for the sole purpose of a cooperating friendship with God. In fact, I'd argue that's the lens and the framework through which you can understand the entire story of Scripture, is that we were created through a cooperating friendship with God. In fact, the church, this, is intended to be a community of God's friends, cooperating with God and cooperating with one another for the sake of the world. That's the first thing. But the second thing I'd put before you this morning is God doesn't wrangle. When we think about God coming, God doesn't show up like the SWAT team and kick down the door. God comes and waits. Advent is a season of of celebrating and waiting and watching for the coming of God. A God who comes into hidden places, who comes in the unexpected places, who gives us a choice. And it's it's not a small choice. It's a choice between a way that leads to life. And when you hear that, don't think a life of ease, because if anything, uh, as one author I recently heard put it, she said, friendship with God is dangerous because there is a cruciform way in which we are called to, but it is the way of life and life eternal, not life far off, but life here and now or the way of death. But there's always a choice. Which leads us to the second movement, Elizabeth's blessing. Mary arrives and Elizabeth experiences a leap inside of her and recognizes the work of the Spirit. 
Elizabeth sees God at work, even in infancy form. She recognizes God as working. And this is what I love about Elizabeth, because I think she reflects God as creator in this moment. She calls what is good and beautiful, good and beautiful. Y'all, we have eyes attuned to what is broken, and we need to name those things. But I think one of the things that we get in God is we get a God who's willing to name brokenness, but is also also willing and all the time naming what is good and what is beautiful. Elizabeth has eyes to see God at work in the hidden places. Her blessing, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Listen, as Protestants, we have spent too long nervous of Mary. But the story of what God actually does through this woman, through Elizabeth's words, should rattle us with the fact that Mary was more than a wet nurse that Elizabeth was more than a cousin to a wet nurse, more than the son of a great prophet. Elizabeth is a prophet of her own right. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I would argue that John the Baptist and Jesus are who they are because of their mothers. Because you see in John the Baptist reflections and rhythms and patterns that you see here in Elizabeth. This word that Elizabeth uses for Lord, also I need to, I need to, just say this morning that we should note is the, is the same term that is really only used of Jesus after his resurrection. Mary is in tune with what God is doing. And so I think we're meant to ask the question this morning, do we have eyes to see the work of God? The goodness of God in hidden and dark moments. Things were not going well for Elizabeth. Her husband couldn't talk, couldn't speak, Her people are still conquered by a foreign enemy. And yet in that season, she has eyes to see the work of God. And listen, I think some of you may know this, but some of you may not realize just how desperate of a moment we're in. Two years of a global pandemic. Two years of deep political upheaval. We are doing as a country what we do every 40 years, which is reckoning with our own story. There's financial upheavals. There are relationships, even in this community. I know so many of you carry stories with family, with friends, relationships that have come together and relationships that have split apart. As a church, we are in a time of a swift transition. Some of y'all can remember two, four, eight, 10 years ago and how different All Souls was. For some of you who are new, It means that there are changes that have happened in your life that have brought you here. Swift transition, swift upheaval. And what is so dangerous about this moment isn't the change. What's so dangerous about this moment is not the circumstances, because we are completely out of control as to what happens to us and around us. What is so dangerous about this moment is that we are at risk to lose the hope and joy that makes life with God and life, I would argue, in creation possible. That's the danger in this moment, that we lose the joy and the hope. But we cannot 
And so in this season, my prayer is that God would give us eyes to see, but I realize we can't do this until we quiet ourselves down enough to recognize that we cannot and will ourselves to see. We can't force our eyes open. We can't push harder. We can't try harder. We can't muster up joy and hope or just put on a good face and fake it till we make it. What we need to do is quiet down in the presence of the God who sings, of the God who does not wrangle, of the God who doesn't come as an avenger. I could do a whole entire thing about how, especially in the West and especially in America, we love stories of heroes. And yet what our tradition gives us and what we get in the gospels are saints. People like Mary and Elizabeth. Family, friends, the, the Lord is with you. Deep inside of you in the deepest part of your spirit is a little boy. Wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. And that joy, the joy and the hope of the Lord that is your strength, but to experience it, and I'm mostly preaching to myself at this point, you have to quit trying to manage everything, controlling everything, trying to handle everything, trying to see all that we can see. Because I think what the invitation is for you and for me is to live in proximity with God and with God's people. We need God because God's the only one who can heal and comfort and rescue. And we need God's people because y'all, I need you to know. I need to be with you to know that my life and the messiness and complicated nature of my life is normal. And that God is with me and loves me. And if I don't have you, I don't know that. And I lose sight and I'm left with, I am utter trash and God wants nothing to do with me. Instead of gathering shoulder to shoulder with you, singing these songs, praying these prayers, coming to feast at this table to know I am shoulder to shoulder with women and men deeply loved by God who are deeply complicated just like me. Thanks be to God for that. And I can't think of anyone who lived in proximity to God more than the woman who watched the son of God expand in her belly. Who else? can sing Emmanuel God with us, like Mary. Forget Mary, did you know, y'all, she knew. She didn't know about the Christmas shoes, but she knew, no, yeah, oh yeah, that's fine. You'll get that on the way home, it's okay. No one lived in more proximity with God than the woman who watched the Son of God expand in her belly shift and form inside of her, who cradled in her arms a newly born yet infinite baby. Even in the words of the poem that Julia read this morning, Kenosis by Mary Shaw, it, or Lucy Shaw, it's one of my favorites of the season because it gives us this image in the moment of the poet. The poet draws our attention to a baby who's looking for a breast to nurse from and who does not yet know the rough splinters of a wooden plane, both sort of kinting at his career as a, as a construction worker and to Calvary. Who taught a boy to walk and to talk, who was the mother of God, Mary. That brings us to our third movement, Mary's song. One of the things that I think is so incredible about the incarnation, about Mary, is that God is God to Mary, and God is neighbor. 
Christ is both Lord and utterly dependent on her. Everything God does for us is dependent on what Mary does for him. As theologian Chris Green puts it, we obey God because God obeyed his mother. Think about that. I mean, just think about the, the, I'm just, the interconnectedness of that Mary was able to obey God because God obeyed her, like Jesus obeyed her. She was able later in life to sit at his feet because she had sat at his. Mary is a woman who knows the presence and the absence of God. She knows what it is to hold God in her arms and at the moment of his death to have a sword pierce her soul. She knows vulnerability and joy with and in proximity to God in a way that none of us ever, ever will. This song that she responds with is known in the global church as the Magnificent. It's a master class in spiritual poetry. I heard it said recently that if you want to know who the poet is, pay attention to the poem. And in that case, I think to pay attention to the poem, to the song, is not only to know who Mary is, who the poet is, who the singer is, but I think in this case is also to know who God is. Y'all, when you look at the life of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, his life, his death, all of this I would submit to you is learned from his mother. The Sermon on the Mount echoes Mary's song. If you take the Magnificent and Matthew 5 through 7, the parallels are undeniable. Her song is Hebrew poetry that is pulling and and compiling from the Psalms. These are words that were in her bone. Think about it. In a moment of surprise, what comes out of her is poetry. Not just any poetry, but it's Hebrew poetry. It's the Psalms. It's the Psalter, the dog-eared prayer book of God's people. And you move forward toward the end of Luke's gospel, something similar happens, but this time it isn't Mary. Jesus on the cross, at the moment of his greatest agony, do you want to know what comes pouring out of him? Two things. The first is blood. Not any blood. Mary's blood. And what comes pouring out of his soul are the souls. Jesus quoting Psalm 22 on the cross is not some form of divine sort of memory sword drill. It's what's in his bones. It was what was in his mom's bones. The same instinctual move in his moment of greatest pain is his mother's instinctual move in moment of greatest joy. Jesus reveals to us what God is like. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, says Jesus. And what does God give to us to give shape and form to the body God in the flesh? He gives us Mary. And Mary, like any good poet, Mary helps us see and know what was previously unknown. Like any good poet, Mary is giving form to the action of God in the world. She's aware of the invisible and the invisible, and she bridges the two with her words, with her body. And with her, we glance from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. Now, here's what I'll say. The danger with any poem is to believe that a poem is a poem once it's written or once it's read. But it's not. It's not a poem, even when we take our our first glance. No, a poem is a poem when we read it out loud. Any poem comes alive, not when it's being studied, but when the poem itself comes to us unbidden and gives us something. 
And so reading, memorizing is just getting something ready to emerge. And so with that, I want to end this morning not by going line by line through the poem. I'd love to. And if you want to do that again, Google Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Sermon on the Magnificent. I was half tempted just to read it this morning. But I want to end this morning by reading slowly this poem, this song which erupts out of the heart of the mother of God in the flesh, out of the heart of a teenager living on the margins of society who's looking for God and then says yes to God. And in saying yes, brings God in the flesh into the world. And so I'll invite you, if you feel comfortable, just to close your eyes. I'm going to read the addition from the message. I think the way Eugene, a poet in his own right, translates it is so wonderful. So let's listen now with open ears to these words we love. I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one look at me, and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy set apart from all others. His mercy flows in a wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arm and showed his strength, scattered the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up to now. Friends, Christ is risen, or Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.